number of new coronavirus cases continues to climb. There are now 47 total cases in Wisconsin. That's up from 33 over the weekend. Confirmed cases in Wisconsin shot up from 47 to 72. The number of positive cases in Wisconsin is now 106. These are all confirmed cases. Experts are expecting the numbers to grow. Today's episode. The COVID-19 coronavirus has ground everyday life to a halt in Madison and in many cities across the country, as well as around the world. I spoke with health and medicine reporter David Wahlberg and higher education reporter Kelly Meyerhofer via conference call to find out what's changed and how residents can protect themselves and loved ones from getting sick in a time of widespread health uncertainty. David, can you summarize what's happened across Madison and Dane County in the past week in response to the spread of COVID-19? Yeah, well, I think as every listener probably knows, city and county and state officials have shut down many things in response to the pandemic. Governor Tony Evers announcing stricter guidelines as the coronavirus spreads in Wisconsin. That includes uh, bars and restaurants, schools, you know, restricting groups from gathering more than 10 people. And of course, it's led to a lot of business closures. A lot of businesses are in workplaces are scaling back on services and it's causing all sorts of impacts. And it's important to know that it's not just Madison and Dane County or Wisconsin that are doing this, but many of the same things are happening around the country. A lot of these measures have been taken in an effort to flatten the curve. Can you explain what flatten the curve means? With an outbreak like this, people can infect others when they're sick or even sometimes before they have any symptoms. So they may be asymptomatic and they may infect other people. And if one sick person infects two or three others, that can lead to a really rapidly rising number of cases, an exponential increase every day of cases in any given location. And so if you have that kind of increase, you have a a sharp curve of cases that keeps going up. And that can really cause an avalanche of demand for services in the healthcare system and so forth that can get really out of control really quickly. So instead of having such a big curve of cases or a sudden surge all at once, what health officials are trying to do is spread that out, so delay the impact of of all those cases and, and sort of flatten the curve so it happens over a longer period of time but not as high of an amount. As of Thursday morning, when we're taping this episode, how many cases are confirmed in Dane County? and Wisconsin? There are more than 100 cases statewide, and I think it's 23 of those are in Dane County, um, but those numbers are likely to continue growing. You know, we're testing more and more for this, so it's not surprising that we're finding more of it, but also it's likely that it's spreading more. And again, something that's kind of hard for people to get their minds around, but it doesn't necessarily just spread among people who are noticeably sick. It can include spreading among people who seem well. The Department of Health Services says they now know community spread is happening in Dane, Milwaukee, and Kenosha counties. What can listeners do to help flatten the curve? 
Well, I'm sure people are getting very familiar with the terms of social distancing and sheltering in place and you know, trying to stay six feet away from each other. Health officials are continually stressing those things because absent a treatment or a vaccine, which are measures that can be taken for many conditions or many outbreaks, these social distancing steps are really the only things that, that can be taken right now to try to reduce the impact of the pandemic. So if people can stay away from each other as much as possible, that would give the virus less of an opportunity to spread. What we're saying here, folks, is simply this. Stay home if you can. So there's several terms that are kind of used that are similar. We've probably heard isolation quite a bit, and we've heard quarantine, and we've heard um, sheltering in place. Technically, isolation is when people are sick. So in this case, we know that they have COVID-19 or at least symptoms of a condition like that. And so we ask them to stay in one place away from other people until they get better. Quarantine is technically people who might be exposed to somebody like that but aren't sick. So we ask them to stay by themselves as much as possible in case they become sick. And then sheltering in place is basically anybody, you know, the general public, trying to get them to stay home and not interact with others just to prevent this general spread that uh, is going on in so many places. And I believe San Francisco is the main place that has ordered that so far, but other places are considering it as an order, and it's certainly being served up as guidance pretty much everywhere that you should try to stay home unless you really need to go somewhere. The governor says all public and private K through 12 schools are now closed indefinitely. This comes as the state's case count of COVID-19 nearly doubles in a single day. You know, children may be less impacted personally if they get this disease, COVID-19, than, than older people. Although some data is showing that younger people can have serious disease too. But children tend to be more likely to spread diseases like this. So closing the schools was a big step taken to try to stop that. But that's obviously hard on a lot of people. And, and closing bars and restaurants is being done for the same reason. And that's also having a big impact. The UW system decided to close some campuses and extend spring break on others. Kelly, uh, what happened on the UW-Madison campus over the past week? Yeah, I think, I mean, each each of the University of Wisconsin campuses have, have taken sort of a slightly different approach. UW-Madison, they're on spring break this week, but starting next Monday through the end of the semester, uh, all classes will be moving online. Students that are living in the dorms, most of them have moved out and they're back at home and will take classes there. Upperclassmen who live in off-campus apartments can, of course, stay in their apartments and, and learn remotely that way. I've seen other campuses that have sort of extended their spring break from one week to two weeks. 
in order to buy faculty and instructors some time as they transition to moving all their their coursework online. But I mean, the, the, the second half of this spring semester is going to look dramatically different than than what campuses are used to. Hi, um, my name is Emily and I'm a reporter with the Wisconsin State Journal. I'm interviewing just students around campus about coronavirus and how it's impacting them. I think a big thing for me is I'm graduating um, this spring and I've heard a lot that the graduation ceremony is most likely going to get canceled. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's like my biggest, I guess, quip with this right now. Mm-hmm. What's going to happen with that? Um, as it's sort of like a, you know, it's like a tradition and there's so yeah. many people coming that I don't know how that's going to be handled. For upperclassmen, especially seniors, what does this mean for their graduation? They haven't decided on graduation yet, at least for UW-Madison. I know that's something that the campuses are sort of working through. Oshkosh announced yesterday that they will be canceling their face-to-face commencement and they're looking at options to do some sort of virtual ceremony. But it's, it's been really disappointing, the seniors that I talked to. You know, they've worked years to get to this point, and they're probably just going to take their last college class online, alone in their living room or with their parents in the room next door instead of with friends and mentors. And they're also probably going to be entering a job market that looks dramatically different than, than it did a month ago. A number of students, both international and U.S.-based, are stuck on campus. Are there any services that are being offered by UW-Madison to them? There's about 1,100 left, well, in- including international students and also some students who, you know, might live in a rural area where they don't have access to internet and couldn't take their classes online if they were to go home. So there's about 1,100 left in the dorms. The university has restricted its dining hours, but there are at least a couple dining halls that are still open. However, the university has has sort of adjusted how the dining services are going to work. I think it's all takeout and, you know, there's like no salad bar or stuff where there could be transmission of the disease. How has UW-Madison worked to help flatten the curve? Yeah, so there's about 22,000 employees at UW-Madison alone and Most of them are now working remotely as of Monday. You know, the on-campus child care centers are closed, libraries are closed. Most research, if it can be done remotely, is is taking place that way. And only like research that is related to the coronavirus or involves like animals that need to be fed, um, you know, daily or weekly is, is still occurring on campus. The university has a new temporary leave policy that gives employees some more uh, paid time off in case they get sick or a family member gets sick. This could have a big impact, as Kelly is saying. I talked to a couple of researchers who did have to put some of their studies on hold because of this, and the long-term impact is kind of hard to tell. It, It could affect their labs for quite a long time. I have one engineering lab. It's like this circuit design class. Mm-hmm. So for that, like not being able to come in is gonna be tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because like the lab goes hand in hand with like the material we cover in class. Mm-hmm. So like it does help a lot having that lab because it 
like being able to apply the knowledge helps like reinforce it. Mm -hmm. So without that, I mean, it's just another missing piece. Um, and I mean, yeah, that's another part of our grade that I'm not sure how they're gonna change that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, the, 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 the far-reaching impact of this, we still are trying to to sort of grasp, and we don't know yet, but, um, I mean, this is just unprecedented for, for the university, for, for the K-12 schools, for the entire state, for the country. I mean, we've never gone through anything like this. Kelly, you wrote a story recently about how UW-Madison is considering turning empty dorms into makeshift hospital rooms in partnership with local healthcare facilities if needed. Yeah, so that um, that announcement came out, and this is just a hypothetical at this point, but there's been a lot of research that has shown, you know, if, if the number of cases continues to rise in the way that, that other countries are seeing, such as Italy, you know, Madison hospitals there won't be enough beds for all of the patients. And that's part of the reason why UW-Madison asked students to find a way to come back to campus if they're you know, within the area and it's possible and, and permanently move out. So it's really frantic. So like, luckily I, you know, I'm here and my roommates have cars. So we were able to move the majority of our stuff out last night into my house. Um, and so basically they got the email yesterday that they all need to be out by 5 p.m. tomorrow. So the 13th or whatever. That's really quick. Yeah, so two days to get all your stuff out and you have to turn in your key. They had left last week with the expectation, you know, that they're going to be on sort of an extended um, period of time away from campus, but there was still the possibility that they could return perhaps in late April or May, and now now university housing officials are saying, come back, get your stuff, permanently move out, because they want to prepare for, for a possible situation in which those residence hall rooms would be for emergency overflow if the hospitals fill to capacity. The hospitals have been for quite a few weeks now expressing concern about whether they have enough ventilators, whether they have enough ICU beds protective equipment for workers. They're scrambling to increase that stuff as much as they can, and there's alternative ways of converting some regular rooms into ICU rooms or helping people breathe in different kinds of ways with uh, bags and oxygen tanks instead of ventilators. But that's a that's probably one of the big biggest questions right now from the healthcare perspective is whether the hospitals and healthcare system could handle a potential surge. We've heard or received criticism of the media on social media platforms and sometimes in person. Uh, a portion of the public believes members of the media are blowing this out of proportion. Um, what do you think about that criticism? You know, from my perspective as a reporter, I just, you know, you know, this is not like, you know, a small circle of people saying, you know, that we need to be taking these steps. This is, you know, every public health expert, you know, state health officials, um, you know, the university would not take these dramatic steps if they did not think that 
you know, that, that it was grounded in, in science. This is causing severe disruptions to students, to faculty, to research, I imagine to, to their financial situations. And I don't think that they would be taking those steps if it was not absolutely necessary. Yeah, I would just say, you know, this is an enormous story. And, and nationally, officials would not be doing these things if they didn't feel like they were really necessary. And, and the media is reporting them accurately as much as we can. I, I think this is such an uncertain situation, and it's evolving so rapidly. And I think sometimes people might hear things reported in the media, and then four hours later, they're different, and so they think that's inaccuracy, but it's actually just things are changing so quickly. So uh, I think we're all doing what we can to, to inform people. How are you both feeling in relation to what's going on? We've been working from home, and it's hard to connect and check in with one another. Uh, I'm doing fine. I mean, you know, I think as a journalist, you know, a lot of my day-to-day work is making calls, sending emails, reading stories and research, writing, obviously. So a lot of that can be done from home. But I mean, I do think, you know, shifting to remote work is just a personal adjustment that I think, you know, people outside of the journalism industry as well are just sort of going through and trying to understand what their day-to-day life is going to look like for the next weeks or months, you know, however long this lasts. Yeah, I agree. And, and I'm trying to think about this as a marathon because I think we're just at the very beginning of it. And I think the big question is how much the ongoing stress and uncertainty is going to impact us in the newspaper, but just all aspects of society. And some folks can help best by listening to DHS and CDC guidance on social distancing and staying at home. Everyone can play a part here in Wisconsin in keeping us safe and healthy. From the Wisconsin State Journal, I'm Elizabeth Beyer. Thanks for listening to Front Page, a podcast that takes a look at some of the State Journal's most interesting recent stories. You can find this podcast on our website at www.madison.com slash WSJ, iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify.